When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Having had the for sale signs up for 11 months, could there finally be something to get excited about at Old Trafford? Another development coming out of Manchester United. Sir Jim Ratcliffe is close to agreeing a deal to buy a stake in the club. Manchester United's board is set to meet this week after British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe moved closer to securing a minority stake in the club after Sheikh Yassim's Qatari group claimed to have withdrawn from the race. It still failed to meet what sources close to Sheikh Jassim had called the Glazers' fanciful and outlandish valuation of the club, and they informed them that they're withdrawing from the process. So what is the significance of this latest development? And could it be the first step toward the Glazers leaving the club? I'm Ayoakim Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. With us for this one... On the Monday, we have the Athletics, Adam Crafton, Matt Slater, and also David Ornstein as well. Matt, what happened on Saturday? Can you just bring us up to speed? We got confirmation of something, I guess, that had been out there in the ether for a while, that the Qataris were pulling out. You know, there have been some hints of this for a while. So that wasn't a complete shock. I mean, it's always, I suppose, when you've been following something for as long as this story's gone on, you know, when there is actually a definite development it does sort of you know you, you sort of go oh right okay you have to sort of kind of wake up again so that's the first bit and then the sort of second bit is that the other lot Ineos again something that has been you know developing has been reported on and you know again not a massive shock this idea of buying a minority stake in Manchester United on a pathway the first step on a pathway to full ownership at some point who knows when and how and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, minority stake with a sort of kind of pathway to transition to ownership, that's the winner. Adam, I know you've written about Sir Jim Radcliffe um, and he's a, it's quite, quite an extensive empire. Um, wh- where does this all fit in? If if it does happen, if the 25% purchase does happen, where does this fit in to the grander scheme of uh, his empire, which includes what, sailing, cycling, football, petroleum? I mean, where, where else can we go here? Yeah, I mean, it's... Essentially, he's made his money in petrochemicals. You have this huge, huge company, Ineos, that's also done very, very well. In particular, in the last couple of years, you're talking about going off the, the rich list last year. I think the richest or second richest guy in Britain, one of the richest guys in the world, one of the most successful companies that Britain has. I mean, there is serious cash there. But over the last decade or so, he's built up this sporting empire. So you have football clubs, um, you had... It's Lausanne, isn't it, Matt, in, in, Switzerland, in Switzerland? And there's Nice in France. And there was what was formerly Team Sky that then became Team Ineos in cycling. And you have Ineos du Car. So you've got this like Ineos uh, Grenadier car, which is almost like the challenger to the 4x4. So lots of lots of different investments. He's been involved, as you say, in, in sailing with um, the British sailing Olympian uh, Ben Ainsley as well at different times. So clearly, yeah, very broad interest. In sport, I think individually as as a person, he clearly is passionate about sport. 
when these reports started coming out over the past few weeks, and I think it was um, Mark Kleiman at Sky News that was reporting around the, this this kind of 25% possibility or this minority state becoming a realisation, where it seemed odd to anyone who has followed Jim Ratcliffe's career is this is not a guy who generally wants to be baby brother in a relationship. He's a guy who wants it all. And therefore, the idea of him just sort of going into Manchester United as a a minority investor seemed very strange. It didn't seem to fit anything. So it opens up different things. Is it just he's so desperate to get Manchester United that he's prepared to really sacrifice what he's always laid out as being his principles of business? Because I don't think it's just about ego and pride. I think it's a case of he just feels he can get more stuff done, right? If you own a thing, you can get it off the stock exchange and you can you can just do more and control more. You know, I think, I think it was Matt it might, have said, might have said recently, it was like, is he just getting sentimental as he gets older, right? You know, he he's a, says he's a Manchester United fan and he just really wants to be involved in the club in some way. Um, and I think also, I know definitely at least one of his sons is a huge Manchester United fan and is very passionate about this particular investment. So maybe they're viewing it very long-term as a family, I think could also very well be a possibility. But essentially, I mean, at this stage, the 25% idea, and we'll get more into this, but the condition appears to be that he gets control of the football operations in return for around, what, 1.3 billion? Now, as Matt says, that could be a pathway towards full ownership, or it could be, actually, I've just paid just over a billion to have my football club run by me from a football perspective and everyone else can sort out all the sponsorship and commercial stuff. And who knows, maybe that's maybe, maybe that's as simple as it is. I'd be keen to get the guy's views on this, but did he sort of take the more pragmatic, collegiate approach, knowing how difficult it was going to be to work with the Glazers, to try and strike some sort of bargain? The Sheikh Jassim Qatari-led bid seemed from the outset to be crystal clear that they only wanted to take 100% of United in full, uh, there was some perceived criticism, perhaps, of the Glazers in their opening words that, in some quarters, it's being suggested did not go down well with the owning family. And there's all sorts of other suggestions and rumours and counter-rumours about why this might have gone in in this direction, especially when there was so much noise at, at various times, um, not only on social media, but when you talk to people within the football world, quite prominent and well-connected people who with time started to feel this is going towards Qatar. But then as it got closer, people that are more tightly involved with the situation and Manchester United kept saying to me, I'm not trying to be wise after the event, by the way. Nope. After that Mark Kleiman report in particular, it is heading in the direction of Sir Jim Radcliffe. He started coming up with all these creative ideas. Um, Initially, it was a majority stake that didn't go down well with the Man United fans, but perhaps that was what they knew the Glazers would entertain the most. It came down from like a large uh, majority to a, a, a simple majority. And then at the end now, it seems there's an agreement of sorts in principle uh, towards uh, 25% that would would keep them in for the time being, perhaps a roadmap. And, you know, if Manchester United is growing and, and football and television rights and commercial values and they don't want to relinquish it, then the more you think about it, the more this route is the only way that one of the parties could have got in. And yes, it's not done yet, but everybody you speak to around suggests it's the direction of travel. So maybe 
Ineos um, through their presentations, the time they spent, which was very high profile, wasn't it? When they came to the meetings in Manchester, we saw them. It was very different to how the Qatari-led uh, bid had developed. Have maybe done simply what they needed to do to get a foot in the door this local boy from Failsworth done good, building towards his ultimate goal. I wonder if that's been a little bit sort of weird because I think there's always a rush like when once a deal's done to say this is how, you know, the deal was done like, and we do that as, mu- as much as anyone, right? But from my memory of those meetings and from speaking to people around those meetings at the time, actually the Qataris, although Sheikh Yassim didn't go mm-hmm. himself and I think there's been some... I think some of the stuff that's been said this weekend about, oh, well, Sheikh Jassim's not said anything and Sheikh Jassim, you know, we don't know very much around him, which is all true. But equally, how often do we hear, did we hear from Roman Abramovich for 20 years? And how often did we hear from Sheikh Mansour? Like sometimes you can have rock solid investors in terms of cash being available that simply don't communicate. So I don't think that in itself was like a discrediting factor that Sheikh Yassim wasn't going to those meetings. And actually the Qataris spent far more time with the Manchester United executive leadership team over the course of that day. And if anything, the leadership team at Manchester United, I'm not talking about the Glazers here because they weren't the ones doing the presentations that day. They felt that the Qataris came far more warmly. I heard that too. I think the Ratcliffe assessment of Manchester United's performance was far more direct, far more critical. And I think there will be several people in that Man United executive leadership team this week feeling very, very nervous. So yeah, I think certainly he benefited from being more flexible rather than just going in and saying, I want 100% and that's it. And the Qataris are talking a lot, aren't they, in briefings around, we were going to give billions for this once we bought the club. I mean, from the Glazers' perspective, who cares? They've sold the club at that point. Who cares if there's 2 billion in extra investment or 1 billion or whatever it was going to be for Mbappe or or a stadium after the event if they're not there. No difference. So ultimately, the Qataris, I think their briefing was around 6.4 billion US dollars because they were saying the market cap was 3.2 and it was double that. If you're going off today's currency rate, that's just over 5 billion pounds. I think the reality of this is that just wasn't enough to persuade the Glazers to sell. Matt, is Adam's point on the ground representations versus the Glazer impression not absolutely fundamental here we've all heard that maybe Ineos rubbed some of the Manchester United people up the wrong way in their meetings in Manchester and that the Qataris were perhaps warmer and went down a bit better and there was there was favour for them among many at Manchester United but it's not their decision 100%. So, I mean, I agree with everything that you guys have already said. So I remember the feedback from, from the, the visits, right? Oh, God, you know, did, I didn't, didn't like the Ineos lot much. Well, that's because they didn't, they didn't rate you, right? They've made it pretty clear that uh, they're not impressed with what's going on. They do care about elite performance. It's written through them like lettering through rock. It's all over their books. It's all over anything they ever talk about, be it petrochemicals to hand sanitizer to cars they are obsessed with this stuff you know they mean it you know they've been doing this long enough that it's not an act right so they're obsessed with this and they go into a failing business and this is sir jim ratcliffe's mo he goes into failing businesses unloved businesses and he turns them around and he applies this sort of kind of ineos rigor he talks about rigor all the time and accountability and all these old-fashioned terms you know he's quite victorian in some of his language I think he went, he went into Old Trafford and basically kind of made it clear he didn't rate them. 
So there's an old huge element of self-preservation going on here. No wonder they like the Qataris, who would have gone in there and been a bit more polite, of course, you know. And I think there's also this sense that with Ineos, you sort of know, you can look at what they've done, right? America's Cup, you know, they start, that started off as a bit of a joint venture. That didn't work out. Ratcliffe wanted to run the thing. So he basically took it over. He likes it best when his people are running it. There is no confusion about what's going on here. Like, we're good at this. Now, you can have a massive debate about whether that's true or not. But right, this is what they think. We're good at this. We're going to do it our way. We're going to apply our methods. And, uh, you know, if you haven't been doing it this way before, well, you're probably going to, you know, you're going to be out the door. Now, again, in his business career, he actually has quite a good reputation. Well, he has, he has a record of retaining management that he likes. You know, if Man United's uh, execs and mid-level execs impress him, they're not, they're not necessarily out the door. But I think there's, a, I think we can sort of, we can make an assessment there about how they even feel themselves. You know, are, are we doing a good job here, lads? Yes or no? Hmm, not so sure. I think this new broom might sweep us out the door. So I think that's really interesting um, now. And then just the last point I'd make about the Ineos approach versus the Qatari approach. And it's a bit like the advice I sort of give my kids as they're starting to do exams that actually matter. Read the bloody question. If you're doing a history thing, don't write about everything you know about World War One. Read the question. And the question was, the Glazers are kind of interested in selling, in selling their stake in Manchester United. That was the question. And so Jim Radcliffe uh, correctly answered that question. Hello, Glazers. How many shares you got? Right, how much do you want? Okay, let's work that out. And he just gave, he just offered them more money. Football is bigger and more complicated than ever before. Just ask VAR. Check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. So the Daily Football Briefing is here to help, whether it's the World Cup. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Lionel Messi. As they say, he completed football. Or Manchester United. I mean, the performances all season have been questionable. That are making you quizzical. The Daily Football Briefing has all the answers you need for every football story that matters. And it does exactly what the name suggests. It's daily, it's brief, and it's all about football. The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. I want to jump on what you said there, Matt, in terms of, you know, ruffling feathers and certain people that might feel that might not be out of a job. Uh, they might be out of a job pretty soon if Ineos do take over. Do we have a sense of who those people could look like potentially? Um, who should be having a bit of a squeaky bum time and going, goodness me, yeah, I might not be here if this 25% does go through? Yeah, there's a lot of conjecture around the quality of job done by uh, the current incumbents at Old Trafford. And, you know, 
at the top of the tree, fairly recently, you've got Richard Arnold as chief executive, having taken over from Ed Woodward, quite popular internally um, because he spent a lot more time on the ground in Manchester when he was commercial director before replacing Woodward as, as chief executive. And then you come down to the football setup, which is now led by John Murta as football director. Some feel uh, he's done a really good job, others less so. He seems to be uh, an immediate target among a lot of reporting for potential replacement and uh, when Matt talks about Ineos wanting their own guys you immediately think of Sir Dave Brailsford um, whose track record is very well documented Uh, again whatever you may think of that he is the trusted lieutenant of Sir Jim Radcliffe he is hands-on and um, running the show at OGC Nice like he has been on the cycling team as well you see other names mentioned too so the likes of Paul Mitchell under consideration he was at Monaco previously he will know these guys from the Monaco scene because uh, when they were are running Nice a lot of them live in Monaco uh, and move in the same circles Uh, he's from Manchester originally Uh, he's left AS Monaco I think we mentioned in the latest long read on The Athletic by Laurie Whitwell and Mark Critchley that he is under consideration. I've spoken to people ahead of recording this who who think he is firmly in the frame for a potential position at some point. We don't know if, by the way, this all gets completed, how quickly things will develop. It may take a number of weeks, it may take a number of months. And, you know, th- th- there is a lot that would need to change and it would cause fairly drastic uh, sort of unrest you imagine on on various levels other names who have been mentioned in various dispatches Michael Edwards of course who came out of Liverpool and hasn't been in a job since despite plenty of interest from Chelsea among others Um, not long after he left Liverpool Julian Ward did he's got a good reputation but suggestions that he might have his eyes on other projects and different types of work and you know they're at the cutting edge um, in EOS and and um, they're very well connected. They will have a number of people in mind, and so if they are going to be getting sporting control, uh, as the reports suggest they are, if this deal goes through, um, then I do think we could see some pretty fundamental changes on the front line at Old Trafford Carrington, the the sporting setup, the football side of things to get Manchester United on the path to being genuinely competitive in some of these crucial areas. But Matt, what in terms of this this possible arrangement of having a minority investor run the football operations, and I find it very, very difficult at a modern as a concept of a modern football club, almost just siloing football operations from the rest of the business, because how you do on the pitch also defines a lot about what you're able to do commercially and your overall revenue streams. It can't really work like that, can it? I mean, like, I mean, I, I mean, and even if you know, if if the the sporting side decide next summer they want to sign, I don't know, Kylian Mbappe, wh- where's the money coming? Who's paying for it? Mm, for me, this is what arguably, if we if we sort of move on from the kind of Saturday stuff and assume that that's the way this is going to play out, the, the, these are the questions I think are just going to be absolutely fascinating. I think the first thing I would say is that. Only Manchester United will be having this kind of conversations where the existing owners don't appear to be that bothered about the sporting side of a football club. Um, and it reminds me, of course, of Ed Woodward's infamous comment about, you know, we, we don't need to do that well to make money at Manchester United, which is kind of true. It, you know, the two things aren't completely uh, detached. 
Um, you know, Manchester United are not too big to fail, but they are this juggernaut. They are this commercial juggernaut. Over the summer, they've done this fantastic sort of kit renewal with with Adidas, and they've you know they've another great shirt sponsorship deal, and blah blah blah. You know, they're, they're good. They're good at that. And within the industry, their commercial operation is is really highly thought of. And we're having a podcast about them again, right? They are absolute box office in a way that, you know, the other clubs, I mean, yeah, they have their moments and, you know, Liverpool are big and Arsenal are big. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying there's man, there's the rest of them and there's Manchester United, right? So that, that's, that's. You've, you've just given them the latest line on their investment decks, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> You're building the deck as we speak. <laughs> I'm sure they can put it better than that. <laughs> there's the rest of them and then there's Manchester United. That's not bad, actually. Um, so if they do do that, I want some of that, by the way. 25%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 25%. That's the number of the day, isn't it? Look, can this work? Yes, of course it can work, because you can put it, you can put what you like in an agreement, right? These are these are all grown-ups. The Glazers own other companies. They will have they'll be minority shareholders in some of their companies and they'll have a seat on the board and blah blah. So this is this is all doable. I just think it's really unusual that we're talking about a sports team still, right? They're still a football team, and the most important thing that drives most football teams is what happens on the pitch. But, um, yeah, I just think it's really, really interesting that, one, it's the bit that the Glazers seem least bothered about. I think it's really fascinating that it's the bit that Ineos seem most fascinated by as well. I think that's interesting for if I was a Manchester United fan. You know, can, can it work? Well, we shall see. I mean, you do get this situation in these sort of interregnum moments where old lot out, new lot in, you have to run it past the new lot. What do you think of the new manager? Do you want to say on the director of football, how much money should we spend this summer because you're, lot of, you're going to be paying the wage? You know, that's that's sort of typical. But this is odd. This is sort of like we could be in this situation for a few years where the thing that most football clubs would care most about, you are going to run. I also find it weird in the sense of actually the jeopardy for Ineos of this arrangement is pretty big because the hardest thing about running... Manchester United is running the football, right? That's the thing they fa- they have found hardest. To, it's the bit they failed at. It's the bit that's probably hardest to fix. The stadium can be fixed with a bit of money if they wanted to. Yeah. If they wanted to, there's do- a bit of your question really importantly that I didn't answer, and I think that's the bit that Manchester United fans will be like, Ooh, and the bit that kind of Qatar offered or seemed to offer. Who's paying for it? I think this again goes back to how Manchester United are a bit different. They should be self-sustaining. They used to be self-sustaining. They they have been for you know mo- the, the Glazer operation. The Glazers haven't been paying for stuff. Manchester United have been paying for stuff. Manchester United fans have been paying for stuff. So does that continue? It it could. It absolutely could. I mean, one thing that the, the Ineos can do straight away is don't take dividends. Actually, don't make the situation worse. But what happens then if? Because this is where I'm fascinated about the friction side of it, right? Do you end up in that kind of Kronkerusmanov situation where you almost end up with ownership groups, investment groups, briefing against one another, counter-briefings? You know, if Man United hire, you know, to sack Eric Ten Hag and they lose the next six games or something, in the Oz pick the next manager, the Glazers can just turn around and say, well, well we've not picked the next manager. You know, it's not our fault. Right. Well, that's it. It's and, a win-win. It feels like a win-win. And but Enios won't be able to fall back on anything. Like, well, we've done this brilliant Adidas deal, or we've done this commercially. So it feels like they've just taken on the hardest part of the club. I mean, the other thing I was just reading, rereading what Manchester United said, and remember, they've not said very much throughout this whole process, as in publicly. And when the club 
put itself up for this strategic review last uh, November, December, the thing that, that the club said is the board will consider all strategic alternatives, including new investment into the club, a sale or other transactions. This will include an assessment of initiatives to strengthen the club, including stadium and infrastructure redevelopment and expansion of the club's commercial operations on a global on a global scale. Now, at this stage, we're not clear what this deal necessarily does to help the stadium and infrastructure redevelopment, and we're not clear what it does for the club's commercial operations on a global scale. What we do know is, very likely, some of the Glazers are about to get very rich in return for the part of the business they appear to care least about, which is the football side. Now, it may well be, and I know there was a report in the Times today saying that that Ineos would like to expand Old Trafford to 90,000. There was another report yesterday saying they would prioritise spending on the squad for the short to medium term as well. Now, that therefore, it just feels to me as though the Glazers last summer, it was just really a case of some of the siblings saying, I think it's time to check out. And a couple of the others saying, I want to find a way to stay in. And this is where we've come down to. I wouldn't mind asking quickly to the guys, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about this potential vote. Do you think this is going to happen? There have been some whispers that Qatar aren't fully out and the Glazers haven't fully made their mind up. Could this be another false dawn in what has been an extraordinary year? Or are we on a very clear direction of travel now? My my hunch is it will happen. I think one of the reasons why maybe some of the parties are a little bit more reluctant is that this has to go to the stock exchange. It has to be formally announced that there's a little bit more of a level of, you know, this isn't a transfer, a football transfer where you can start fully briefing all of the details. Although you know, a lot has come out for a club, for, for organisation that is listed on the stock exchange. And actually, you know, you look at the whole process, the way that share price has spiked and at different times during the past year. And I think, I wonder how that may develop with investors over over the next couple of years and whether there'll be any fallout of that. I do expect it to happen at this stage because you know, the Qataris have basically said they're out unless the board was... To, but I'm not even clear. Do, do the board actually have to approve this, Matt? Does a board actually have to give approval for a minority investment? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, a lot of it will be buried in the each company's articles association. I, I, think, I think it does. Um, this is a significant change right so yes but i think sometimes people can sort of think all oh, right this is like a free vote could they lose yeah not not really right there's 12 people on the board six of them are members of the glazer family three of them are employees of the glazer family three are independents but one of those independents basically works for the, their favorite bank i'm not suggesting you know that those people aren't going to be professional and diligent about their stuff but look there are relationships here and you know they've been put there for a reason oh and by the way if it's a draw the Glazers get the casting vote, right? So, you know, if you've got this idea of succession, like that sort of first, second uh, episode where, you know, they're all around the table and, you know, the family might lose the vote. Well, they, that's because they didn't own all the shares, you know, that they'd sort of sold lumps of shares off and they, you know, it was, it was sort of a kind of a live vote. But, oh, you know, the big personality around the room still won the day because most of them were in those seats because he put them there. I'm not saying that there's a direct correlation, though often at times it's felt that Manchester United was basically following the same plot line. I think the vote's going to be fine. Um, and I agree with you. I think this happens. But I think quite what happens is the really fascinating bit. So are they buying only Glazer shares? Are they going to buy some shares, you know, from the open market? If so, 
you know, why he could have done that any time he liked. And, you know, how you do you do how do you price that? Because there's a massive price differentiation between the premium he's paying for the Glazer shares and the $20 it costs to buy a regular share right now. Now there's just so many bits to it. And then of course the whole stuff we were just talking about with the the control and how you actually contractually sort that out. So yeah, I mean, what happens next is going to be amazing, but I, but I do think it's going to happen. Yeah, just a tiny point to add to Matt's views on the vote. Um, there seem to be some suggestions of tension when previously one of the Radcliffe-Ineos incarnations was put to the board for discussion. That seemed to revolve around the idea that Radcliffe and Ineos were only interested in buying the more powerful B shares as opposed to the A shares and A share holders were not happy with that idea because it would kind of reduce the value of what they own. This latest proposal seems to be that Radcliffe is going to buy comprising A shares and B shares, which if there was resistance from the likes of, say, Richard Arnold and Cliff Batty and uh, others on the board about that very subject, A shares versus B shares, that would appear to have been eliminated by this latest development. And therefore, with the Glazers on board and potentially that obstacle removed, you would suspect there is no real impediment to this vote getting passed. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Matt, can I ask a kind of a very layman's question? So like if I just go on the INEOS website, you're talking about a company that operates across 29 countries, generates 65 billion US dollars annually. The three partners who own INEOS, because it's not just, you know, we're talking about Jim Ratcliffe and clearly he's a huge part of this, but you've got the partners, John Reese, Andy Curry. They're worth 7 billion US dollars each, 13th and 14th richest men in Britain. There's a hell of a lot of money right there. Why don't they just buy this thing? I love that. I love that. I love these questions. The, the key thing, perhaps the simplest way of thinking about this, when people talk about what Radcliffe is worth and what his partners are worth, I think they both, he owns 60%, is that right? And the other two own 20% each, right? So they're a really simple split there, right? 60, 20, 20. That wealth, that fabulous number, it's not cash. Most of that is share, share wealth. You know, he owns his, the biggest, you know, proportion of his wealth will be that he owns 60% of this very successful company. But that company goes up and down. It's very much tied to the global economy because he actually sells sort of building block stuff. You know, so when 
the global economy is doing well and we're making stuff and buying stuff, companies like Ineos do really well. When the global economy tanks a bit, right, companies like Ineos don't do so well. You know, he's also have, he'll have investments in property. It's tied up, right? It's tied up. And when you get as rich as that, the, your whole approach to money kind of changes. You start to sort of think of debt as actually not like something scary, like, oh my God, I, I you know, I've got an overdraft. It, it becomes a little bit kind of irrelevant. You know, as long as you can, as long as you can sustain that debt, actually debt becomes really useful. Debt, they often talk about debt being cheaper than, you know, it's just, everything gets flipped upside down, right? You'll, you'll, guys like Radcliffe will never find it hard to borrow money. There'll be people queuing up to lend him money. So I suppose, so, so I suppose one of the things that representatives of the Radcliffe bid have always said throughout this process, and some of what they've said has changed that's gone on, you know, like when they started, they were very much of the view we want to have majority control, right? And that that has changed. Another thing they said is that no fresh debt will be borne by Manchester United. Now that, I think, given the story of the Glazer family at Manchester United, is a really key and essential question. And if Ineos are borrowing money, whether that is to invest in the club in the first place or to fund infrastructure development, I think of all the questions that are being posed you almost need Jim Ratcliffe coming out on the record and saying, this won't be born against Manchester United. Yeah, I think that's really important. And like, if, he, if he, having given Manchester United that amazing tagline, what was it again? Um, but what, putting Manchester... The rest. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought you were talking about Jim's one, which was like putting Man- the Manchester back into Manchester United. Well, just, just for him, if you want some PR advice, exactly when he can speak... Exactly, reassure Manchester United fans. We're not, we're not, because this is all over social media. Oh, they're just the new Glazers. Well, you know, I think that's a bit harsh, but you know, but I can understand where that's coming from because Sheikh Jazim was saying no debt to Jim and his entire business MO is no, we, we, we use debt, right? He, he has borrowed money to build his company, but you're right. He should come out when he can to explain there is a clear difference between the leverage buyout that the Glazers did. Where they put the purchase, you know, price on the club is still sat there. You lot, the fans, have been paying for for us buying your club. I think that communication is massive, and they're, they're going to have to be careful with their own wording because perceived criticism of the Glazer family, especially if they're working together. And I also think that will be massive for the fans on the sporting side, which we talked about earlier structurally. But you know. The, a lot of the conversation around this has been, well, Manchester United have spent loads of money. Um, you even hear former players, uh, when I interviewed David Beckham and Wayne Rooney over the summer, they actually gave credit to the Glazer family for the amount uh, that had been spent during their ownership. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's been quoted. You'll see some historic videos doing the round where he praises them for the, the transfer spending. But let's, be, but, let's, but let's be clear, Dave. Like, those people either have a re- had a reason to, mis- to misguide supporters whether that was because of a, a horse race um quite a long time ago <laughs> or or in in the case of maybe some of the former players I don't want to be sort of rude about this but they didn't they didn't understand right they saw a lot of money being spent and they haven't maybe done the level of research to to fully understand that and therefore when people go out and say the glaze have spent all this money it's just not true agreed and 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 no disputing that. I guess the, the sorry. The point I wanted to make was that tapping into Matt's communication thing. That that I think it would curry favour with fans just for transparency reasons if they come out and explain this sporting structure. And and one of the elements of that is that 
a lot of money has been spent at Manchester United, regardless of by who, in the transfer market. Um, but if you think back to recent windows, you know, we, we were very uh, clearly told how true it was, I don't know, but people were told internally as well, there's no money to spend, You can there's a bit of manoeuvring, a Mason Mount level deal, but then you've got to sell before you buy. Uh, players aren't sold, and then they spent couple of hundred million pounds towards the end of the window deadline day money flying here there and everywhere and then Man United have spent loads of money in the window why aren't they competing with Manchester City it's really fundamental for the sporting structure for the future success potentially on the pitch of Manchester United that they start getting this spending right people saying well Eric Ten Hag has had loads of money spent on his squad well he, he would have wanted that spent at the beginning of the window and on the targets that he wanted there and then and um, I think one of the frustrations that United fans are feeling most acutely is that it looks a bit of a mess on the sporting side so while explaining crucially the the business side of things when they can speak and if this all happens they need to talk properly about the football side publicly and that might start to change some of the narrative around this too one of the things that fans will need to realize and temper the expectations is manchester united's spending potential because of the rules of financial fair play and profit sustainability are not going to dramatically change and even if there was a qatari takeover with all the money in qatar the only way that manchester united's you know spending potential would really substantially change is there would be a bit more leeway around financial fair play because there would be a level of owner investment that gives you slightly more flexibility. But you're not talking about you know, more than half a signing in modern day terms in, t- in terms of that space. And really the only way that that would change is by doing some, how do we put this, clever things with sponsorship. Who sponsors Nice's shirts? It's Ineos, isn't it? And I wonder whether Manchester United may look to go down that road at some point as well and that will also be in the interest because Ineos wants to sell more four by fours or whatever right it won't just be a case of this is to give Manchester United a bit more money also because Manchester United are kind of popular enough to get a great shirt deal anyway so in terms of what Manchester United can do in the transfer market all they can really do is do it better rather than spend a lot more more than that I think I think my, my biggest one really just to sort of finish it off is, especially from you, Adam, will Manchester United fans be happy with this 25% if it does go over the line? Um, Because the Glazers fundamentally are still at Manchester United and that was the friction inevitably with the protests and everything else. Um, uh, How how do you speak for 1.1 billion people? Well, hold on, are we talking followers or fans? Right, you know, followers. (laughs) And then you've got people who are aware of the name Manchester United, you know, and all these different figures. Paying fans. Paying fans. I think if, if you would have said 18 months ago that 18 months later you would have one of the richest investors in Britain who has grown up as a Manchester United fan would be on a pathway towards taking the Glazers away from Manchester United, I think most supporters would have thought, wow, right? Like, that's a pretty amazing thing. As ever with Manchester United, they've taken so long to do anything. It's a bit like every, you know, like when they signed Jadon Sancho and it took them about two and a half years to do it. By the time the guy arrives at the club, you almost, you lose any sense of excitement or anticipation around the guy because you thought you had it sorted a year ago, two years ago. And it's felt a bit like this with this process. 
And also because that hypothetical will always be there of, well, Qatar could have just come in and wiped the dirt and bought us Mbappe and built a stadium, right? That's always going to be there. You can't disprove that hypothetical. They're never going to prove that it wouldn't have worked out, etc. So, and I'd never say fans should think this or shouldn't think that, but I think, I will say, I think there should be cautious optimism, right? Like there is a pathway here now and we'll learn more about this pathway, hopefully, as the weeks goes on, because it's still not being clearly briefed what this pathway looks like, towards, one, the Glazers who have proven to be pretty bad at operating the football side of the club, no longer operating the football side of the club, and two, a direction towards them eventually leaving the club. So, and in the hands of, you know, people who really appear to care about Manchester and the club and appear to be so determined to get hold of it that they've kind of upended their model of always wanting full control. So I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism there, but it will always be set against the fact the Glazers are still there. Maybe they still take dividends. Who knows? Like so much of these these questions need to be answered that I'm very cautious about saying this is good or this is bad. All right, let's end it there. Matt, David and Adam, so good to have you on the pod. Don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic today for a special limited time offer of just one ninety nine a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. And also while you're here, why not leave us a quick review and rating if you're enjoying the podcast? That would mean so much to us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash football pod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.